going to approach this a little different. I'm not going to, I need to turn the mic on. I don't know why I always forget that. I'm sitting there thinking and then. Well, it gets, there it goes. Is that better? Can you hear? There, there it went. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to approach this a little different. Um, because this is kind of tying up what Charles has said over the last couple of weeks. And so I'm going to look uh, closer at this verse, at what Peter is wanting the, his disciples to learn. Okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O glorious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a time that we can come together that we can meet in your name, Lord. We give you the praise, the honor, the glory today. And I just pray, Father, that you speak through me and that what, uh, what I have to say will be your words and not mine, Lord. Help me as I express what it is you've put on my heart. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's read Second Peter. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of the th these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So a little background here. Uh, Peter's talking a couple of times in here about his decease. And he's defining it in the sense of a tent. Now that's in the New King James. If you look in the New American Standard, I'm not sure what NIV, but the New American Standard is called dwelling. Christians at that time correlated their life here on earth to the Jewish life through the desert. As the Jews were in tents, traveling through the desert, looking towards the time that God takes them into the promised land. And that's how Christians at that time viewed it. We are here temporarily. We view it that way. We are here temporarily. This body is but a tent that holds our soul while we're here. And we are wandering this earth, fortunately not aimlessly, well, hopefully not aimlessly. I can't say fortunately, because some do. But hopefully not aimlessly, we're wandering this earth awaiting for God to take us to the promised land, to take us to heaven. Now, <clears throat> the word tent comes from skinoma, okay? And it's associated, as I said, to tent, but also, if you read on down, to dwelling, uh, <clears throat> Peter is preparing for the time that he is going to leave here. When we look at John, chapter 21, 18 through 20, and Peter mentions it in that, it says, Truly, most assuredly, I say to you, when you are younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. Now this is Jesus talking to Peter. He had just finished up, Talking, asking him the three times, Peter, do you love me? He had just finished that, and this is 
He had just gotten through that, and this is what he's finishing up with. You girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God, and when he had spoken, he said to him, follow me. Now, Peter was, was getting old. Um, we're not sure exactly how old any of the apostles are. Peter was thought to be, some say, in his 20s. But there's mention that he was the older, an older apostle, so some things think he was around Jesus' age. Either way, he's talking in A.D. 64. So he's in his 80s or 90s. And he knows that death is at his door. As a matter of fact, he dies in, in around 67, 68 A.D. And he was martyred. Of course, uh, all but John were martyred. He was martyred. And the interesting thing about his martyrdom is they were going to uh, crucify him, put him on the cross. And he said, no, I cannot, be, uh, I cannot be killed in the same way as my master. He chose to be crucified upside down so that there would be no comparison to Christ. The reason this is important is because the state of mind of Peter at this time, he was concerned for his disciples and he wanted to make sure that he left them something to remember. It's important that we remember. And we can see throughout the whole Bible areas where God gives us things to remember. The first that stands out in the Old Testament is the standing stones, Mesabah. A standing stone or pillar that usually had a sacred and or legal signif <coughs> excuse me, significance. Uh, God had the Israelites place standing stones. In this next slide, we see a variety of verses where standing stones are used. This first, the first two in Genesis, Jacob set up uh, stone pillars at Bethel in order to remember his powerful dream in which God reaffirmed his covenant with him. Exodus, Moses, built 12 standing stones at the foot of Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments and other laws. Joshua 4, the Israelites erected standing stones to remember their miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. Joshua 24, Joshua built standing stones when the covenant was renewed at Shechem. Now, the significance of the standing stones is they were put up so that whenever the Israelite would walk by it, if he was with a Gentile, if he was with his children, they would discuss what the purpose of that standing stone, what it meant. They would talk about the stories behind that standing stone so that those stories would be passed down. God wanted the stories to be passed from person to person. He wanted those stories of his deliverance to be remembered. And we can see that man needs remembrance. We know that in the Old Testament, <clears throat> how often did Israel stray from God because they didn't remember what he did for him, And they went down their own, their own path. And so the purpose of these were to discuss it regularly and keep in mind God's deliverance and what God had done. Now, when we look at Deuteronomy 6 through, uh, 6 through 9, we see that 
God had another way. He said, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them di uh, diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. The beginning of a Bible study, right? Uh, when you walk by your way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. So a lot of us know that, uh, <clears throat> that due to... Sorry, I, I lost my spot. I got... Due to what's called mitzvah, and mitzvah is a command of God that is to be performed as a religious light. Due, due to mitzvah, the Jews did uh, place these, and they're called, let's go to the next, they're called mezzah. So here's some pictures of them. They are decorative things that are put on the doorposts or on the gate. And scripture, the Torah, pieces of the Torah were were put in those. And this was a way to bring the word of God to mind. And so whenever they walked through, they would either lean over and kiss it or they'd kiss their hand and touch as a sign that they remember the scripture that is put in in that mezzah. Okay, the parchment that's called a cloth. And so all of, these were two ways that God in the Old Testament, especially before Moses began writing the Torah, but how God in the Old Testament had people remember what is going on. And we see that in the New Testament as well. We know that in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 25, as Paul's talking about communion, he says in there that... that uh, Jesus took the bread and broke it, blessed it, and said, do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and he blessed it and said, do this in remembrance of me. And so every time we do communion, that's a standing stone. That is a time that we are to remember what Christ did for us. And that's the purpose of all these standing stones. And we can look further in, in Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, you also as living stones are, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones. Our bodies are stone, should be stones, standing stones to tell of God and of Christ. Uh, Peter wanted his disciples to have the type of faith that is so bold that people could see it just by their interaction with the person. That is a living stone. Christians who are proud to tell about the difference that God has made in their lives. 2 Corinthians 3.3 3, Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So again, Peter is in the time where before a lot was written about Christ. Things were being written, yes, but it weren't, they weren't readily available. And so the, the point that he is making is that we as Christians need to be a living stone, knowing to the depth of our soul the stories of Christ, being able to express to other people what Christ has done for us in our lives. The purpose of the standing stone is to give us opportunity. You know, <clears throat> Peter's followers, they had the first and second book of Peter, obviously. As he sent those out, they may have had some of uh, what Paul had sent out. But we today, we have the entire Bible available to us. And so, the Bible in itself is a reminder. The Bible in itself is a standing stone to us. And we need to know the Bible and we need to have that within us. No matter how long we have been Christians, the basics are important. We can look back at this verse and we can see that Peter said, I know that you know what I am saying. But that didn't matter. It needed to be reinforced. Repetition. It's all about repetition. And the first thing we think of, of course, with repetition is sports. You know, uh, I was looking up some stuff, and I'm, I'm not going to put up a bunch of stats. You guys don't need to see those. But uh, Derek Jeter, I think he played close to 20 years. He had close to 350,000 times he swung the bat in his life. They talked about how many times he had grounded a, fielded a grounder. I can remember, and I, I don't remember who it is, but I can remember the story of one player that he went out an hour before practice started and fielded grounders for an hour before practice started. This is something they did as a job every day, yet they still did it over and over, and they kept at it. Football, they go through the basics. You can always tell a team that spends a lot of time in the basics because they're the ones that make the least number of penalties. They're the ones that play as a unit. People are not out of place. Basketball. How do some of those guys know to throw it behind their back to some other guy? Because they have practiced and practiced and practiced so much, they know where everybody is supposed to be on the floor. And because of practice, they know that that person's going to be there. Not just that where he's supposed to be, but that he is going to be there. And so, <clears throat> when we look back at the definition of, of a reminder, there is an aspect to that in the definition, I put it in there specifically, called uh, reflex, uh, reflexively recoll recollection. In other words, making a response because of reflex. During Peter's time, and we'll see this later, there were false prophets. There were false teachers. There were things that were being taught that were wrong. And he wanted his people 
to know that, to be able reflexively to just say, no, 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 that's not right. That's not the way God intended. And that's where we need to be as Christians. We need to be so deep in the word that when somebody starts talking to us, we know whether it's truth or not truth. And <clears throat> we look at uh, the times these days, and they're changing, and how we're going to have to prepare ourselves and be prepared is going to be different. You know, um, I was reading and listening to uh, John MacArthur. I don't know how many of you know him. Uh, he is the minister of Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. And uh, they ha they've had problems with the state of California because the state of California came out and they have never lowered this, but they came out and they said that the churches could not have, I think it was over 200 in attendance. And I think that had to be outside. And that there were certain things you weren't allowed to do during this attendance. And one of those was saying, John MacArthur's church has not closed its doors. They've been preaching through the whole thing. They do provide online, but they've been preaching through the whole thing, and they've had big crowds, big crowds. Since August, the state of California has fined them every Sunday for breaking these rules. Now, all that right now is going into a separate account, which neither side can touch because it's being fought over in court. But the city, in order to try and break Grace Community Church, they uh, rent, I think, 40 acres from the city, and they have parking on that 40 acres. So the city said, okay, we're pulling your, your lease for that land. So the church went to court, and the judge said, you can't do that. And so... He said that they've had eight or nine times that they've had to go to court to fight the city. And the fine one is the only one still up in the air, but they've won every other one. And as a matter of fact, at the last one, praise God, they said, they told the city, don't come back. We don't want to hear it. You don't have a leg to stand on. You can't close them down. Don't bother coming back. Well, that's fortunate for now. But the thing to keep in mind is that it's beginning. California is the most liberal of all the country. Things are beginning to happen. We are going to come to a point where we will have to deal with per per persecution. Things are going to come to the point where when somebody talks to us, we're not going to be able to look up on our phone what verse we're thinking about. We're not going to have the internet to do that type of research. We're going to be back to Peter's time where we've, all we've got is our brain. And so we've got to have these verses in our hearts. They've got to be written on our hearts. You know, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you have read uh, The Insanity of God. But in there, he talks about all the persecuted countries. An example was China, where when a home church who's meeting in, in secrecy, when a home church gets a Bible, they tear it apart. 
and they give every member a piece. And it's up to that member to memorize the piece they have in order for them to share it during services or during whatever is need to be done. There could be a day where we're doing that. Where we have hidden Bibles. Now, we should have a lot more. <laughs> because we should be able to keep all of us, I'm pretty sure all of us have more than one Bible in our house. You know? All of us usually have a Bible for each of us, and then we may have an extra one or two that because we bought a new one or whatever the case may be. And so we're going to have to keep that in mind. We're going to have to be able to bring this stuff from our from our hearts. And so what is it that Peter's trying to get us to remember? Now, he talks about some stuff further up, and I'll get to that, in the verses that uh, Charles talked about last week. And I'll get to that here shortly. But I think there's more to it. He does say, remember these, meaning remember what I said. But I think there is more to it. That was something that he was stressing at that time. But I do think because of everything he's written in First and Second Peter, I do think there was more to what he wanted them to remember. <clears throat> I think that Peter was looking at the truth of Christianity as opposed to the heresies of the false teachers that were around him. Now, I looked up truth, and the definition of truth, number one is kind of vague, Number two is the one that stands out. I think this is the way that our world looks at truth. It's a fact or belief that is accepted as true. And we have seen this strongly in the last five years. Things of this nature with our government. And so I went out and got some quotes on truth. The first one is Winston Churchill, which actually is a is uh, apropos. Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing ever happened. They stumble onto the truth and then ignore it. And it gets worse. Friedrich Nietzsche. There are no facts, only interpretations. And I just had to put this one up. John Lennon. You can imagine what that one's like. But... Uh, I believe in everything until it's disproved. So I believe in fairies, the mists, dragons. It all exists even if it's in your mind. Who's to say that dreams and nightmares aren't as real as the here and now? It's kind of like, what are, you, oh, what are you thinking? But the worst one. Berwyn Warren wrote a book. He felt that he knew truth so much he wrote a book. The truth is what you believe. This is where our society is at this point. The truth is what you believe. That's how they get around all this stuff. That's how they maneuver. But the truth of Christianity calls us to grow. It calls us to grow in godly virtues. we got several written there. But we can break this down to the idea of if we're reading our Bible, 
if we're memorizing Scripture and if we're in prayer, we will have godly virtues. As a disciple, we need to be Christ-like. How do we become Christ-like? By growing in our virtues. Not quite yet. By growing in our virtues. And how do we do that? By reading, memorizing, and through prayer. And the other way that we can grow in God is through our good deeds. I had a hard time finding one of these. They don't really express Christian good deeds very well. Um, but the nice thing is, is there's a lot of things on there that expresses Christ-like behavior or Christ's, uh, Christ's character, Christ-like character. But how do we... How do we grow in good deeds? Well, we do that through growing in discipleship, in ministry, and in group Bible studies. We are called to be disciples. Matthew tells us that. Matthew 28. Christ says that. We are called to be disciples, and we are called to be disciple makers. We are called to ministry. We've heard about spiritual gifts, about all that type of stuff. We're called to ministry. And it's important that we spend time in group Bible studies, whether that's Sunday morning, Wednesday night, a small group. We can read and read and read, but we need to discuss it to bring it into fruition. And then we need to practice it. And so that's how we grow. The other thing that I, that I think that Peter is looking for out of this is a necessity of holiness. We look at 1 Peter 1 to 15. He's quoting this from Leviticus, and this is God speaking. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Charles touched on this. This is the portion that is up above, these characteristics of Christ that bring us closer to holiness, that bring us closer to righteousness. And... <clears throat> I listed those that Charles talked about last week. And, and he challenged us to work on one of these each day of the week. You shall be holy for I am holy. If we cannot live a holy life, then we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, of course, he talks about the foundations of God. Now, um, I have, this is the foundations of God, okay? The doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's all about the doctrine. Our foundation is the atonement of Christ. And built upon that, I've listed a few things here. These are, you know, when you look at... Uh, doctrine. You have the doctrine that is uh, essential, what I call essential, meaning you cannot have salvation without following that doctrine, without believing in that doctrine. You can't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be a disciple without that. Now, there are some doctrine that you get into as far as revelation and those that can be discussed. What do we need to remember about relation? The most important thing is the Christ is coming again. Right? When he is, doesn't change our salvation. 
The fact that he is, does. Now, like I say, these are some of the brief ones that I thought were kind of the upper tier, you know, kind of the top five, but there are more. I didn't want to get into all that. We don't really have the time for that. The important thing is, is as a disciple, we have to know this. This has to be written on our hearts. This has to be reflective, or reflexive, excuse me, reflexive in our response to what is going on in life around us. As we finish up, let's look at Luke 19, verse 40. It's kind of interesting. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees wanted the uh, apostles to keep quiet. They didn't want them expressing what they were expressing. And Jesus' response to the Pharisees is, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Back to the stones speaking. It should never have to come to that. The stones should never have to cry out. As we look at our world outside these doors, we're seeing a growth in everything, in fraud, in corruption. We're seeing people who have a very strong uh, drive for selfish ambition. Our society has taken the Bible out of school. It's taken prayer out of the school. And it's destroying the family unit through abortion, through divorce, and lately heavily through the uh, um, gender questioning. We need to be able to tell people what God has brought into our lives. There are going to be be people now out there. It's going to grow. I really feel that that the people looking for the truth are going to grow in number. And people are going to be more susceptible to hearing of the Word of God. And as Christians, it's our job to tell our kids what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be in ministry. Show them what it means to have a Bible study. We need to tell those people that God brings into our lives each and every day what it means to be a disciple, what it means to grow in Christ. We've got to share what Christ has done in our lives because that's what brings it to the personal, is sharing what Christ has done in our lives. We need to be disciples that are making disciples, bringing them into ministry, bringing them into group study, bringing them into the family. Oops. <laughs> I put a timer on to make sure I didn't <laughs> run over, and so it went off. I'm, I'm nine seconds over, sorry. <laughs> It's important, I think, that the church is based on our relationship with God. We talk about the will of God. What is the will of God? The will of God is for us to be as close to Him and want to be as close to Him as He is wanting to be close to us. And that comes through these things, through discipleship making, through ministry, 
through study. Let's rise. And as we...